Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Sponsored by Leadership Excursion Company and recorded from The Coop, located in Summerlin, Las Vegas. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making incredible impacts in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Today, we welcome Natalie Buckle, Leadership Director for the Henderson Chamber of Commerce. Natalie's sole job is to exemplify and encourage leadership both in her workplace and her community. She touches on what it's like to own a franchise, advice on how to successfully lead millennials, and tidbits on how to manage and overcome change. Enjoy. Hey, Natalie, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in. So I have been so excited to talk to you because you have um, you have a leadership title, and I think that these are so few and far between. You know, there are different organizations out there that provide leadership training or um, leadership-specific type services, but you work for the Henderson Chamber of Commerce, and uh, you oversee all of their leadership programs. So I'm so curious to hear about that. But first, there's a backstory. There's a little bit that happened before then. And um, tell us about your life as an entrepreneur before you went to go work at the chamber. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so it was always in my blood. Um, And when I was in college at UNLV, I actually met my now husband and our senior year, we had worked together on a ton of projects, and he was very curious at opening a franchise, which I was completely against because I was raised and family-owned everything, and uh, he convinced me to do some research with him, which after doing some research, uh, learned a lot about uh, different franchises and actually started to like it a lot, and then I fell in love with Jimmy John's. Um, I was... I liked um, their philosophy. I liked how they did things. I liked that it was a lot of hard work um, and that it had to be owner active, which was something I, um, is a big, I'm a big advocate for. Um, so in 2011, we had opened up our first store out in Henderson. Uh, big challenge because the uh, stores out here that were originally out here weren't really doing so hot, and Jimmy didn't like Southern Nevada. As a matter of fact, he really hated Southern Nevada. So we saw this as a really great opportunity to take a brand that people really weren't so familiar with out here and to make it into something. Um, so we opened our store uh, in July of 2011, and before we knew it, we six months later, we were signing for another store, and then six months later, we were signing for a third store. So in two years, we built three stores all out in Henderson. Um, it was a fantastic experience. Um, it was very exciting to watch the brand just continuously grow. And uh, before we knew it, we had some of the top stores in the country, which we were very excited about, very proud of. Um, but a lot of that was our teams that we had. Um, we did sell our stores um, in 2015 of May. And um, we did just because... To be perfectly honest, the stores were really doing extremely well, and there were other people who really wanted them a lot. <laughs> right. And uh, at that point, uh, we were hesitant to continue building. Uh, we kind of mastered it, we felt, and we were curious about other opportunities. Um, and so we said goodbye to our 85 employees and our team and uh, 
then I decided to uh, join the Henderson Chamber not too long after that. So. Okay. Before we talk about the chamber, I have some questions for sure. you about Jimmy John's. Did you go seek out that brand? How did you know about it? So it was actually my husband who he had heard about them. And he, we started to do our homework on, you know, we wanted like more simple uh, franchises, nothing that was too complicated. And I had a restaurant background. My family had always owned restaurants. They had a food company that I ran for a few years. And so I was very familiar with those channels. So my husband saw that opportunity. Um, and so we had looked into subways and Porta subs, you know, and Jersey Mike's and all these different types of places, pizza places. And Jimmy John's just, it, it struck us both really, really well. Uh, we liked their systems and procedures. They had a really strict guideline of, you know, we'll give you one to start. And then you have to prove yourself. Whereas a lot of the other franchises are like, well, how much money do you have and how many can you open in a year? So you saw like a difference where, you know, Jimmy John's go out there, you know, to Illinois and you had an interview and they were, they were hardcore. They really investigate in their people and make sure that you're the right fit for them. Cause they ask you, you know, are you going to get up at four o'clock in the morning when your oven's broken? Are you going to be at the store? Like who's going down there? Who's scrubbing the floors? Um, and so they, they were much more about the work ethic, which was something that matched myself and my husband. So. And it sounds like you appreciated that they did that. Very much so. Yes. You can go in with your eyes wide open. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good thing. Um, what, how involved were you in the day-to-day -day operations of those stores? So we, when we had our first store, um, my husband and I both took on management roles. So I was there at night and he was there in the morning. Um, and you know, soon when we started building the next store, so he, he really was hands-on building the first store. Then I took over and built the second store and then the third store we kind of built together. Um, by the time we had the third store, I was like the mama bear. So I took like an area manager role. Um, so I visited the stores every single day, multiple times a day. Um, and I was the person, if the building was on fire, you called me. Um, so I was there to back up my team and to ensure that they had all the tools that they needed to execute a great day. So whether it was HR needs or if it was that the slicer broke, you know, Natalie's going to come down and fix it. So I learned how to fix everything in the store. Um, so I became a plumber and an electrician really quickly, wow. uh, you know, and just, um, really I was there for a lot of motivation though. And just really that be that backup for my team. Yeah. So. Now I've heard just in general conversation, uh, you, you talk about your employees at Jimmy John's and, and I think, uh, you feel like that that was a success. I mean, how old were the people that worked for you generally speaking? And how did you manage the hiring and the management of, of that type of a crew? So it was really taking the time to understand each person. So even though, like I said, when we sold, we had 85 employees, it was, we, we worked with people that were from the ages of 16 all the way to retirees. We had a lot of extra retirees, um, especially they were delivery drivers. It was great. It kept them moving. Um, they really liked that kind of work. Um, so we had a, a vast array, but I would say good majority was between the ages of 16 and 25. So working with millennials, you know, everyone's always so challenged by them. I love them. I embrace them. Uh, it's, but there is a different way of managing them. Like, absolutely. You know, for me, you know, what motivates me doesn't motivate somebody else. So really what a key thing was in recruiting a lot of people was, you know, having to understand what motivates them. And a lot of people, I think, hire people and try to force them to 
have the same ideals as their own organization. And it's, it, people are so diverse now in the way that they're thinking that I think it has to be a little bit the other way around. And it doesn't mean that, um, they don't work hard. It just means you have to find what it is that motivates them. So all of our managers, you know, there was, there were strict guidelines as to how they had to treat their employees. Uh, for instance, they really, they do want to feel important and they want to feel that they're not a number and that they're not just someone that can be discarded. And that was really important uh, to me in the organization that no one ever felt that way. So when you came in for work, the first words out of your mouth couldn't be, Hey, wash up and put on an apron and get ready. It had, you had to stop. I didn't care how busy you were. Hey, so-and-so, how are you today? How's your day going? And you needed to be sincere about it and you need to take the time. And if they had a story to tell you, you needed to be present for that story and connect with them. Um, it just completely made a difference in the day because then you knew too, if that person maybe wasn't on point, you already knew why. So now you knew where to place them. You knew how to utilize them. You knew if you needed to spend a little bit extra time with them. And because of that, it created this incredible loyalty among the, the staff. And we had some of the lowest turnover in the country in our stores because of that. And that's what a lot of the kids would say. They're like, I just feel like I matter. You know, so I always made sure I knew everybody's name and I knew something about them. So if I saw them, you know, I could be like, you know, hey, Josh, you took that test last week, you know, for this. How was it? How'd you do? You know, and then I'd, you know, engage further. Okay. Oh, you got a B. All right. Can you get it an A next time? Or is there something that, what do you think you missed? Or, you know, and just they, it meant so much to them noticing that they weren't really motivated by money. You know, they were motivated by the gesture of things. So we had a lot of programs where, um, we would do, we call it kicks for kicking ass. And it was just, you know, sometimes you had those days where someone just stepped up incredibly and saved the day. Um, they would go to the back computer, they'd go on to Zappos and, you know, like, Hey, you got a hundred bucks, like whatever you want to buy, like go ahead and buy a pair of sneakers or, or what it is that you need, you know? And these kids were just thrilled beyond belief. We made sure they were delivered to the store. So like everyone would see it, you know, and they, those were the things that they loved. We do movie nights. Um, we've had water gun fights on the parking lot, you know, <laughs> it was just really, to embrace those moments with them. Uh, we would sit down and do homework with the kids, um, teach them how a bank works, you know, um, and just spend time with them um, and scrub the floors with them. That was the most important thing was you had to scrub the floors with them um, because then they would always follow next to you. And if you were doing it, then they would do it too. And so that's, that's what we found. Like it was like, they just want to be appreciated. Um, and, it's really easy to do. It just takes the time and the recognition to do it. Yeah. So now when it came time to having to dis discipline someone, mm -hmm. so you have this positive rapport with them, you have a healthy relationship with them, you know, what's going on in their life. Talk about discipline. So discipline was, it became very simple actually in our organization. And what we, what we did was we turned confrontation into a conversation because no one wants to be told, Hey, you're doing something wrong. So we had to teach, you know, our management staff, especially, you know, how do you approach this without coming off as, you know, 
you don't want anyone to infer, Hey, I'm telling you you're doing something wrong, but that doesn't mean you're dumb. That doesn't mean, you know, you're terrible. It doesn't mean any of these things. Like these are the, we just need to redirect you. That's all we need to do. So we always address things as redirects. Um, and it was always in the confidence of, you know, the manager and that person. We never did anything publicly and, you know, just kind of talking through like, Hey, what happened today? Rather than going and attacking someone saying, Hey, you did this today. You know, it was like, Hey, what happened today? You know, because a lot of times then it's more opens up a conversation for a story of, you know, like this customer, you know, just got in my face and he said this one thing and it just really triggered me because X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay, because I, I got to understand why it happened first in order for me to know how I need to move forward. Um, so we were very straightforward too with, you know, our rules. Like if this was the rule, like you knew the rule, here's the rule. Do you understand the rule? Um, so it was really more like our, our team was, they never wanted to disappoint us. And I think that's what you want. You don't want someone to fear you. You don't want someone to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. If they have more of like, I don't want to disappoint you. That conversation is so much easier because you know that it was, you know, is a sincere mistake or if something was blatant, you had to hold people accountable. Then that was really key because if I held, you hold one accountable, you got to hold everybody accountable. So people never were surprised. If they didn't show up for work, they weren't surprised. Like, hey, it was no call, no show. Sorry, you know, here's your final check. Um, they were never surprised by that because either A, someone's done it beforehand. So you, there's no exceptions to the rule for that, you know. So, and it just became a, you know, we didn't do this, like you did this, or, you know, it, it just was this honest and open thing. So there was never really a lot of drama in our stores. There wasn't a lot of um, misunderstandings. It just really was very straightforward. Um, but again, our big thing was like, we have to understand why before we decide on a punishment, before we can move forward. So. Yeah. With that said, what do you think the most important leadership traits are? You've touched on some a little bit, but just to be very clear, what do you think those, the most important traits would be? I think, you know, it's gotta be, there's so many, um, you have to be open to listening. And I say open to listening because a lot of people I feel they go into every situation already knowing this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. And they forget the other side. And as a leader, you really have to listen to everything else first, and then you can make your decision because you can't go in just assuming I know it all and I'm going to, so now you need to do, and now you need to do, because I think that's more, you know, now I'm the boss and you need to follow these rules. Um, you know, a leader really ensures that it's like they know the whole picture and then they're like, okay, I have this plan based on what everyone's kind of telling me, here's the plan moving forward. Um, I think they have to be consistent. And I think that's the hardest thing for leaders um, because they allow a lot of outside factors to influence them, whether it's friendships or political stances or, you know, just how is this going to make me look? You have to be willing to take the hit. You know, sometimes it's hard um, to um, execute a particular decision, but if you know it's the right thing, you've got to stick with it and stay consistent. The more consistent you stay, the more people can trust you. They know what they're going to get from you or they know where your sincerity lies. Um, and I, th I feel like a lot of leaders lack consistency. Um, and then being okay with confrontation. I think that's a really big one. Um, like I said, you, you know, we make decisions that are unfavorable. Um, 
But sometimes, you know, when things have to get confronted, uh, you have to be willing to do it. You have to do it eloquently, um, but it has to be done. If it's, you know, something that scares you or something that, you know, you really just don't want to deal with, don't lead. You, you've got to do that because you're also sending the wrong message to others, especially, you know, if it's something where an employee is doing something wrong all the time, you know, by you not confronting that one person, you're kind of giving the middle finger to all the rest of your staff and that's not fair. So that's, you know, part of that consistency thing too. So, yeah. How does being a leader or an owner of a franchise translate to the next step in your life? So we're going to talk about, uh, how did you come across this position? I really want to know everything. You know, what was it like going through this interview process? Um, when you got the job, all of that, I want to hear it all. Okay. So, um, so it was a bit after we had sold the stores and, um, the current, I had finished the program. I graduated in class of 2015 and you're the leadership class. Yes. Yeah. I went through the leadership class. Okay. And, um, the current leadership director who'd been running the program for 10 years, um, was moving and they were looking for a replacement and, there was just a couple of people from the leader, from the leadership alumni that had, you know, made kind of cracks, like, you know, you should do this, you should do this. And I laughed it off. Like, I'm a, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't know why I would do this. Like, it doesn't seem like it'd be the right fit. And I'm not really a nonprofit world person. Like I'm generous, but I don't know about the other side. I don't know if I can manage these types of things. Um, and then I brought it home to my husband, actually, and he just kind of looked at me and said, I think you should. I think actually it's something that you would really enjoy because, you know, think about what you could do. Um, and I thought about it and really what lured me, I think, towards to applying was I wanted the chance to be with other leaders, you know, and to be surrounded by them and to also learn from them, but also to you know, help create the environment where people can share their experiences about leadership and the roles that they're in and really get people to get outside their box. So now all of a sudden I was really intrigued by that. And I had been um, asked quite a few times to teach seminars um, in regards to leadership, mainly on confrontation. That's like the number one thing everyone asks about um, and how to keep your staff loyal to you. Um, so, you know, I was already kind of going down those roads. I never wanted to teach myself. I never wanted to be the educator. I more wanted to be the observer and um, kind of help people connect and get them to find other leaders and to, if they're having a problem, you know, finding that right uh, connection for them to get over that hurdle. So um, real quick, now you're going through this process. What was, and you talked about a lot of the positive mm-hmm. um, components, but what was the one thing in your mind that you were really scared of? Oh, working for somebody else. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was, I was just, I was nervous because I'm so used to making the decisions of, um, yes, I'm going to do business with somebody or no, I'm not. And that was something I was, I had very strong convictions on. Um, so I was nervous about that. I was nervous about, you know, having to get sponsors. Like I've never had to just ask other people for money like that. What? You mean uh, to raise money for yes. the chamber? Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, it just, it was, so those were elements of it that, you know, made me nervous. Like, how am I going to do this? Like, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, working in an office environment again, I was, you know, in the restaurant all the time and, 
you know, I had a desk and an office that I sat at maybe two hours a week. Um, I just wasn't a behind the desk type of person. So trying to see how that would fit and if I'd be okay with that. And, um, luckily our president, Scott Mulrath, um, I had worked with him. I, I was on their legislative committee beforehand. So I knew how he was and uh, we have a good rapport. So I was like, I think I, I think I wouldn't kill him. Like, I think it'd be all right. Like I could, I could do this. So I had, uh, put my application in. And as, as I put it in, in my cover letter, I'm like, I'm not joking. I'm actually really applying. Uh, and, uh, you know, they called me, uh, for an interview, which the one date that they had the interview, um, set for, I had to be out of town and it was something I really, really had to go do. It was, um, actually some of our mentors, um, had to invite us, uh, us out to Texas. Um, they were launching, um, a new nonprofit to help children succeed. And it was very critical that I was there, uh, and I couldn't change, I couldn't change the date. So I ended up having to Skype my interview, <laughs> which was, I thought, horrific. And, um, I was in an airport hangar. I had just landed. I had just flown in like a four seater plane. My legs were all shaky. I was <laughs> freezing cold. And here I am with my phone. Like I couldn't even get to my computer. I mean, it was, Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong that day. Um, and it was a panel of, I believe, five people, which was very intimidating. And I remember after the interview saying, I'm never going to do that to anybody. Like, that was <laughs> horrible, having five people to look at and just go, like, are they smiling? Are they not? Okay, no, they're not nodding. They're just writing notes. Oh, goodness. What did I just say? Yeah. Um, now, you already had a relationship with the chamber before this. I did, yes. So uh, in this case, it wasn't your first time talking to them in your Skype call, even though it was so unnerving. Correct. Yeah. There was uh, two, I believe it was two people on the panel though. I had never met um, some of the people I, I was familiar with, you know, and then there was Scott. So um, I, I felt the pressure that I needed to be really on point. Uh, and I obviously said some, something right. Cause they called me back for a second interview, um, which was more of a social um, and um, you know, they really talked about what is that I wanted to do with the program and, and my thoughts on it. And I was fortunate Scott called me and offered me the job. So, Oh, great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most chambers have a leadership program and it's, it's really one of the key pieces to any chamber. Yes. There's community outreach, there's helping businesses. You have all different types of personalities and needs. Um, now you, they hired you. Mm-hmm. What was that first week like? I was such a wreck. Um, I was uncomfortable. I was nervous. Um, I really wasn't sure like how I was going to do all that. All these ideas that I had in my head, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was still training, um, underneath, um, the old program director. And, um, we were right in the head of our annual fundraiser bidding for bottles, um, which is like their annual fundraiser for the program. So it's chaotic. Um, there's a lot going on all at once. There's a class getting ready to graduate. And I am just like, I'm so out of my realm. I'm just so out of, you know, this is like, you know, I'm so used to just jumping in and just knowing, and I, I wasn't in that role. So it was very nerve wracking. Um, I definitely had moments of like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and then it just started getting comfortable and just, you know, thanks to my husband too, kind of pumping me up and like, you know, you know, you got this, like, it's just new and uncharted waters. Um, so I just took a lot of notes. I, 
consistently carry a notebook with me. Um, and everyone kind of teases me about that. Like I'm just jotting down notes. I should be doing it on my phone, but I'm not very technology savvy. So I like old school pen and paper. That's your go-to tool. <laughs> yes. Always pen and paper. Um, people give me now notebooks as gifts all the time. Cause they're just, they always say, I, and I kill notebooks like consistently. So little segue. So you, you like, you enjoy using notebooks. Yes. Let's say you have to go back in time and look up information. Uh-huh. How do you go about doing that? Oh gosh, looking up information. Um, you know, I, I do Google <laughs> if I need yeah. to. Um, but I do like going to the library. I do like, um, I, I just like, I don't know if it's in writing and it's on a piece of paper, it seems more official to me or it seems yeah. it's more part of history or there's a better understanding. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I'd like, I'm, I'm old school. Like I'm, I'm young and I'm, I'm still old school. Like, I don't know. I'm old whole soul, I guess. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, good. Uh, so you're a copious note taker. We know this about mm-hmm. you now. Uh, after that first week, now, did you step into the program that they already had in place or did you have free reign to use that and make it your own? Um, so when I stepped in, um, the program was already in place. Um, and really it was, there was a lot of strategy involved into, you know, you can't go into it. The program wasn't broken. So I couldn't go in and just start saying, I want to do all these things because it would send the wrong message. Um, and also I had alumni to consider, um, that really, you know, this program meant the world to them. This was a very important part of their life. So I needed to be, um, very respectful of things that had worked in the past and things that people really hung on to and trying to not push too hard into making drastic changes right away. Um, one of the committees, the main committees, you know, I adopted, you know, from the other person and they were all people I was familiar with. Many of them stayed on, um, to help me through the year. Um, cause they really didn't know I had been on the other side of it. So I didn't know quite what I was doing. So I had a lot of great guidance. Um, and I think for me, like the hardest part with it was I'm such a like person where I'm like, Hey, I've got this idea. Like, you know, let's, let's talk about it and let's go and let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, I get really excited and I'm always on board to try something new. Um, and I had to really scale that back with this job. Um, just really, cause you have to get your committee really to, to agree and everyone to be comfortable with it because you're thinking of two different sides too. Um, so that was a, that was definitely a big challenge for me was to, you know, a have to be patient to wait for my committee meetings to pitch any idea when I was used to having a team where I could just call and say, Hey, I want to do this. Or, Hey, I think we should do this. Or, Hey, I've got this great idea. Um, and they would either say yes or no. And at least it was dead within 24 hours where this, it would sometimes take a few weeks. And, um, so I, I found I had to find, like walk a little bit of a fine line to, you know, want to introduce something new, but maybe not too, too new. Um, so that everyone was comfortable with it. Yeah. A little bit of tradition there. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, change is always a difficult thing. Yes. Especially when someone new is coming in. So right. I imagine that was challenging. Now you were responsible for fundraising. Yes. You also oversaw the leadership program. What other job responsibilities did you have with the chamber? So I, um, also handled the economic development awards, which is their annual uh, award ceremony, uh, for like the city of Henderson, like they join with the city of Henderson. Um, and we do, you know, awards like small business awards, customer service award, things of that nature. It's about a 500 person event. Um, we've held it at green Valley ranch the last few years and it'll be held there again this year. Um, that's a, 
that's a bit of a beast uh, to take on because uh, we start now already working on it for November. Um, and it's, you know, really getting the community involved for nominations and then voting. And, you know, we do videos for them so that we can get them exposures for the finalists. And um, there's just a lot of pieces that go involved in that event. Um, so that takes up quite a bit of time. Um, and then we're I'm always recruiting. Um, I attend ribbon cuttings or all the chamber events, um, especially just so that people have someone uh, to contact or to have face to face with to talk about the leadership program. So really, whatever the chamber needs, like you're always there, like everyone works like on everything. So yeah, what were the expectations with the job? So above and beyond your job description, you have leadership in your title. Uh Did people expect more from you? compared to other people in the organization? How was that? Um, I think maybe outside of the organization, the expectations were a little bit different than in-house. Um, in-house, it's it, it. there's 12 of us now, um, and it, everyone's very tight-knit, um, very much a family like um, organization, if you will. And I, I think the expectations were, from the outside, just more of, I'd have a lot more knowledge base of referrals and knowledge base of, you know, people can pop into my office if they need to have a powwow, if they're struggling with, you know, something that they're dealing with in their organization. So I had a lot of people, um, like that would just come to me for that. So, you know, if my door was shut, someone was in there, you know, kind of pouring their heart out about, you know, whether they're having a career crisis or, you know, even a friend crisis or just, you know, things with their staff or, or whatnot. So, um, I think those expectations were, you know, I was also the counselor. (laughs) So, um, which I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed those. Those were probably some of my favorite moments, um, throughout the past 15 months was just sitting with people and, um, really helping them kind of get through whether it's just, they just needed a place to talk it out. Um, but if they were kind of stuck at a point, you know, big or small, trying to help them get to that next, that next step for them. Yeah. So the most challenging day, uh, working at Jimmy John's, Uh what did that look like? Oh, goodness. Um, that was when all three stores needed me. And, uh, you know, there were, we did so much foreshadowing and, and really forecasting for everything that was coming up within that was surrounding our stores, um, knowing our patterns and things. And I remember there was a day in the summer where we just got rocked and we have no rhyme or reason to what it was. And it was all three of our stores and every single store needed me. And then we had a fridge go down and it was in the middle of summer so like just transporting things and everything just went right. I had one kid cut himself cause he was moving too quickly, had to take him to the urgent care. And, um, it was, it's funny cause it, I remember that day being so stressful, but it was such a great moment for me. Um, we don't have kids and, uh, this kid, he was 19 years old and he sliced his finger. I mean, darn near to the bone. It looked like and uh, couldn't get a hold of like a family member. Um, so I went back in the room with him and he helped my, like squeezed my hand to death while they were stitching them. And, you know, like, but it was a great moment for me. Like I was happy to be there. Like, it's like, it's okay. It's going to be totally fine, you know? Yeah. Um, but just being there for him was, it was kind of a, a, a great moment. Uh, but I remember that day, just like everything went haywire and it's 110 degrees outside and people are cranky and miserable and, or whatever, but it was a great day and 
you know, not too many fatalities, you know, (laughs) so it was good. Yeah. So when you were at Jimmy John's, you described uh, your role as a leader Mm -hmm. within that organization. And now you're in a completely different environment. Correct. And what you described as the important things that you need to do as a leader at Jimmy John's, how did that translate into your job at the chamber? So a lot of it was, um, it definitely was different because, um, the person that was there before me was very different and I'm very much, if I'm in a leadership position, I need to behave as such. And I need to probably be the strongest one out there if I'm representing the program. So I, you know, I don't make decisions on the fly. Um, I was, you know, if things needed to be spoken about, we were going to speak about it. It wasn't just, we're going to shoo it under the carpet and pretend it didn't happen. Um, and I think a lot, especially alumni, they were a little bit, you know, put off and they were like, Oh my gosh, like, why aren't you just telling me? Yes. You know? And, uh, a lot of it was, you know, well, cause I, I, I want to run it by my committee. I want to make sure this is the right decision for the program. And, um, you know, not that the person before me didn't do those things, but it was, I was a little bit more, I think, aggressive about it. And, um, I didn't just say yes to tradition, especially if it didn't serve the program. And I think that was, um, you know, a a little challenging for some people to, um, be okay with. And I think they were in the end, cause they understood, like, I'm not making, I'm not doing anything that's for me. Like nothing about this thing is, is about me. So if I have to upset a few people along the way, that's okay. But at the end of the day, it has to be about the program, like no matter what. Yeah. As far as your leadership positions go, mm-hmm. what drives you? Where do you go or who do you look to to uh, for motivation for yourself? So I, my husband actually like is probably my, my person I go to for motivation and one of my closest friends, Gwen, um, she's been with me for a very long time. Um, I met her, she was my assistant way back when, when I was at the Las Vegas Hilton and she ended up being my best friend ever. Uh, and because she's someone who she'll knock me upside my head and she'll be like, you're being stupid. Like, (laughs) and it's what I love about her is she's not going to pretend, you know, the world is sunny and it's okay. She's going to tell me when I'm being, you know, when I'm being ridiculous or when I'm doubting myself. Um, I don't think there's really any particular leader, like a world leader or anybody that I look up to. It's more of just, I admire people who aren't afraid to ask why, like, why do we do things or why, you know, why can't we do this? Like, why not? Um, and anytime I see those moments, you know, it could be something so small or something large. I just really admire those acts. I admire the acts of people being courageous and just not staying inside the safety zone. Yeah. And people will say things about millennials. They'll Mm -hmm. say, you know, they ask so many questions and we spoke about millennials earlier and, and maybe that's something to consider if if you're having a hard time managing that specific generation is you know that why question is always a good one yes and that's something that you should maybe consider embracing a little bit more and and taking time to get that input from your team yes yeah I think I think a lot of the disconnect that I find you know when I when I witness conversations especially you know with a millennial and then someone you know, like a baby boomer, uh, you know, they get more frustrated because you're right. Millennials, they, they ask why. And rather than saying that it's general, it's general curiosity as to why do we do things? Um, and people get very defensive 
you know, how dare you ask me kind of attitude, you know, like this, this is how we've always done it. Ooh, if that's your answer, that's really not good. Cause how can someone understand, you know? And, um, I know I get on people's nerves sometimes when, you know, they're trying to pitch something to me and I'm like, okay, but why would I do this? You know, and they take it as like, oh, you're being rude. No, I really just need to know, know why, like, why, why would I, you know, why is this a service I would utilize or, why is this something that we would consider doing or, you know, and I think it's a fair question. We have to pick and choose what we do today. Um, and I think why is such a great question. It's, it's a great question. Yeah. All right. We've talked about Jimmy Johns. We've talked about your position with the Henderson chamber. Now you didn't have any experience with, with either of these professions before you walked into the door. Correct. So what would your advice be to somebody who is entering into the unknown, into a new position that they've never experienced before? Be confident about what your strengths are. Like know what you stand for and know what it is you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, for me, it's always been, you know, a, a lot of people push like, you know, find out what you're passionate for and go for that. I don't really agree with that because sometimes what you're passionate for then working at, it doesn't, doesn't match. Um, I, I really believe in knowing what your strengths are and then you kind of find what fits that. Um, it makes life a lot more enjoyable when your work that you do. Um, so just be confident and know that like it gets, it gets greater later. Um, and just be patient, just be patient with things and know you're not going to know everything the, the first day. Um, and it's okay. Like if it's, it's something new, you get to learn and understand and experience. And before you know it, you are now that veteran who knows and, and understands that particular industry. Um, I think it's great. And I, I wish more people would, would jump a little bit, you know, out again, outside their box and just go, well, I've done this all my life. Well, have you thought about something else? Well, I don't even know what I'd look for. That's the great part. Just start looking around, just start poking and just, you never know. So how do you personally handle failure? Um, I really like, I do first, I let my, I do allow myself to mope and I think it's important. Um, you know, I don't allow myself to do it for long, but I allow myself to be upset. I allow myself, if I need to cry, I'm going to cry. Um, I think it's, it's part of a little bit of a grieving process that we need to, cause we don't like to fail. We don't enjoy that. Um, and then I go through, you know, just asking the questions of, you know, why do I feel this is a failure and was it really a failure? And I always come out saying it wasn't a failure. You know, this was my lesson that I needed to learn, or this was something that was not destined for me to continue on with, or it was something that. I, you know, didn't need, like it, it didn't serve me and I didn't want to let go. Cause I think a lot of times, um, it could be my own stubbornness that will, won't let me let go of something when I know maybe it's going South. Um, you know, cause I just don't, I don't want to believe it. Um, so I think, you know, failure is difficult, but I think it just makes us so much greater. Um, but, um, really kind of allowing myself, especially like if it's a day or two afterwards, I'm, I'm going to stay in bed and it's going to be okay. And I might eat a pint of ice cream and that's okay too. <laughs> um, and then just picking myself up and going, all right, like it's, it's in the past and here's what I've learned from it. And this is what I'm going to do moving forward. And it's given me now this to know for this later. So, yeah. How do you facilitate change? And uh, the reason why I'm asking you this is because especially at the chamber, you walked in and you were the person who was there before you had been there for quite some time. 
and you talked about how some of the um, former leadership attendees you had a difficult time with that. Mm-hmm. How did you manage that change? Um, a lot of times what I did, especially if I knew um, someone was really uncomfortable or they were really struggling, I ensured to reach out to them personally, you know, and just kind of ask those questions of, you know, why? Like, why are you so nervous or, or what is it for you that you're afraid of um, that I'm going to do? And just having those open dialogues, always staying positive was really important. And just, I asked permission a lot and I did it not in a demeaning way to myself, but as a, you know, can you give me this one thing? And if you really, really hate it, you can come and tell me, but just give me this one thing. And if it's awful, you know, I promise you, I won't do it, but can you just give me this one thing? Um, and just trust me for this one and stand behind me. And surprisingly, a lot of people were like, okay, like, you know, and that's what I would ask. It was just, it was really just asking that permission. Um, you know, I know this is uncomfortable. I know that this is, it's different, but if we could, if we could just try, you know, I'd be very grateful for that. And a lot of times it worked out, you know, and people were also then more comfortable about talking to me about it. Or people would also tell me, God, I was really nervous about this, but this ended up being really great. Um, so I think sometimes when we ask for change, we just go in and we demand it or we insist and it's okay to ask for permission. And when you do that, you're allowing them to, well, you're acknowledging that this is not going to be easy and, um, it's going to be okay if you think it sucks later too. So I'm giving you that permission to tell me it sucks. So now I've given that comfort level, uh, to them and, it, it just, um, I don't know, it opens up a great dialogue. And now I'm going into whatever it is I'm trying to do, understanding like, okay, if I change it like this, this is what I'm going to be affecting for this person or for this group of people. Um, so I was always smarter going into making my change. Okay. Do you have any daily routines? Yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so uh, my big one is actually with my husband. Um, we have our coffee together every single morning and we don't ever break that habit. So I also wake up a lot earlier than I need to, um, for where I need to be. Um, I don't like to feel rushed in the morning because then I feel the rest of the day I'm always feeling like I'm late or I'm running behind. I need my morning to kind of center myself, get myself prepared for the day. But the most important thing is that cup of coffee with my husband. It's, you know, if it's 15 minutes or if it's 30 minutes, um, we talk about the day, what lies ahead, you know, what we're not looking forward to in the day, what we are looking forward to in the day. Um, and it just, it starts the day off right every morning. So it's very rare that you'll see me first thing in the morning. I'm in a bad mood. Um, it just gives me that positive uplift. Um, I prefer to do my workouts in the morning, you know, if I can, I'd like to say that that's a routine, uh, but I definitely fall off the wagon, uh, here and there. Um, but just making sure that the morning is, is for myself. Um, and I think that's really important. I, like I said, just waking up like, you know, 15 minutes before I got to be somewhere and just trying to get ready quickly. It's just uncomfortable. I like to pet my dog. I like to cuddle him for a few minutes in bed, you know, <laughs> like I have my, so I take all the things I really, really like have joy for and make sure they get the first of my morning um, before I start my day. Okay. When you're starting to plan for your day, how does that look? Um, Do you use any certain tools or anything like that? Um, I try to, so I do plan like my week ahead, um, with things that I know are going to annoy me, um, for the planning of it. Um, as simple as 
getting dressed. So I know what I'm going to wear for the week. I know what events I have to attend or where I need to be. I'll check the weather um, because it's one less thing I have to stress about throughout the week. Because if I have that morning where I want to take a little bit extra time, I'm not standing in my closet going, what should I wear? What do I, you know, what am I going to do? So um, that's one thing, you know, making sure that I look at my calendar thoroughly in the morning, um, understanding where I need to be, how, like what I need to be doing, um, drive time and really knowing what my day looks like. Um, I don't like to be late. I don't like to be disrespectful to others by showing up late. So I try to be as cautious with that. So a lot of my planning of my day is okay. I've, I've got two hours to work on this project, but then I have to leave by this particular time. And I make sure that I leave at this particular time. Um, so yeah. Okay. I hear you're an avid reader. Yes. What is your favorite book of all time? Um, my favorite book of all time is Law of Spirit by Dan Millman. Okay. And the book was given to me by my best friend a long time ago. And it was when I was going through some struggles in my life. And she's like, just read this book, you know. And it's just about this journey. Um, uh, for me, like what it reads, it's about how we sometimes overcomplicate things. Um, things in life and how we approach things in life. It's a very, it's a short read. It's a great read. I refer back to the book consistently. Um, I can just turn to any page and a lot of times the lesson resonates with me. Um, and I just, I love, give it to friends when I know they're going through a time where they feel that they're struggling, but it just, it always calms me down reading it and it always kind of recenters and refocuses my, my thinking. Now you are in a motivational role and it seems to me like you put yourself there on purpose. <laughs> what motivates you? Oh gosh. Um, funny enough, change motivates me a lot. Um, new ideas and other people like excitement and, and positivity just really kind of motivates me and gets me going. Um, new ideas. Like if I hear anything of a new idea, it doesn't even be my new idea. If I'm helping someone else with an idea, it just motivates me to, to keep moving forward and to continuously innovate. And, um, yeah, I get, I feed off other people's energy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can feel your energy <laughs> definitely. And, and we've known each other for just a short amount yeah. of time. So well, listen, Natalie, thank you so much for coming in today and, and speaking to us. Thank you for having me. It was great being here. For those curious to know, Henderson touches the city of Las Vegas and is the second largest city in the state of Nevada. If you'd like to learn more about the chamber, visit hendersonchamber.com. You'll also find information about their leadership program, including details for applying on their website. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, visit the Leadership Looks Like Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Leadership Looks Like is a podcast dedicated to leaders everywhere. Our mission is to show that leaders come from all different backgrounds, ages, colors, shapes, and sizes. For more information about our project or to become a contributor, visit leadershiplookslike.org. Sign up for Fresh Start Mondays and get access to free leadership tips delivered to your inbox every Monday. To subscribe, visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash subscribe. And finally, The Coop. 
Las Vegas' newest co-working location with a focus on community and collaboration. If you're a small business owner looking for office space and amenities and would like to be located in Summerlin, visit thecoopcowork.com. Until next time, continue to inspire and support one another through effective leadership. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. See you again next week.